Welcome to the LifeGate Podcast, a podcast recorded at LifeGate Church in Burleson, Texas. We hope you enjoy the talk, and be sure to stick around for more at the end. I'm telling you what, I am so excited this morning as we celebrate eight years as a church. God has done a lot in eight years, amen? And I have been reflecting, and you know, when you when you go through uh, an anniversary or birthday time, it's really good to reflect, and I was just reflecting about all that God has done here at LifeGate in the past eight years, and my memory just goes back, we already talked about it, my memory just goes back to those times, man, when I can remember when it was just a few of us. In fact, when we first moved here, it was just me and my wife and my two little girls who were one year old and two years old when we moved here. It's amazing to think about that. And I think about the people who became a part of LifeGate. I remember some of those times whenever we were setting up and tearing down our stuff over at the Hughley Fitness Center and there was only about 15 of us meeting together on Saturday nights. I remember when we got to move into this building just about seven years ago. And man, there's so many memories, so many things that I could talk about today. In fact, I could keep you here all day long telling you stories about the things that have happened at LifeGate in the past eight years, some good, some bad, some awesome stuff that has happened, but I'm not going to do that today. We're going to reflect a little bit today, but instead of, I thought instead of reflecting on all of the past eight years, I thought since it's eight, it's not five or 10 or 20, it's eight, right? And so eight shouldn't be too as big of a deal as like a 10-year anniversary, a 20-year anniversary. Instead of thinking about all the stuff that's happened in the past eight years, I thought we'd start just for a second by just celebrating this year, by celebrating all the things that have happened just in this past year, since last September to this September. And I just started kind of writing some of them down, some of the things that have happened uh, last se- September. Some of you may remember we had 60 adult leaders who were in encouraged and trained and trained through our Leader You Weekend. How many remember Leader You Weekend? Pretty awesome, right? And then in October, we had a dozen families who developed personal and family mission statements and family values in our Bless This Home series. How many remember that, right? Some of you are like, I wasn't even here back then. That's right. And then in November, we sent a team to Honduras to do missions work in Honduras. Pretty cool. Then in December, we had our Crestmore Christmas, and we delivered over 200 gifts to the apartment complex of uh, Crestmore and the people who live there. And then we started in December. We actually broke ground and started on our building project in December. Then in January... We had one of the highest non-holiday attendances, the actual highest non-holiday attendance we've ever had as a church this past January. Pretty cool, right? We were able to add another full-time staff person when Carol joined the team. Yeah, and then in February, we had 24 married couples who went through the Art of Marriage weekend as a part of the Forever Marriage series. You might remember that. Then in March, we were able to raise $10,000 and build seven wells in Haiti so that people 
in Haiti who don't have drinking water could have drinking water. Pretty cool. We were also able to sponsor 100 children to make sure that they're being fed in Haiti. Pretty cool. Able to help an orphanage that's going to be starting in Haiti during our Rich series. Then in April, we had Easter in April, and we added a Saturday night worship experience for Easter, and we broke our all-time ever highest record attendance with 505 people coming to church at LifeGate on Easter. Pretty cool. Then in May, The Edge had Nacho Night. How many teenagers remember Nacho Night? And they broke their highest ever record attendance in Edge when they had 70 students in Edge. Pretty cool, right? And then this summer, I was just saying about this summer, in su- this summer we had 35 of our children who went to camp and we had 20 teenagers who went to youth camp. And then just a couple of months after raising all that money for Wells in Haiti, we've already raised $10,000 for Fire Bible to translate Bibles into languages that don't have Bibles. We still got a ways to go on that because our goal is 20000 but we're halfway there, right? Living on a prayer, Amen. And then just this past week, just just Wednesday night, The Edge had uh, their big blitz bash and they broke again their all-time highest record attendance and they had 85 teenage students here on Wednesday night. Pretty cool. This past year, we baptized 27 people. Pretty awesome. We dedicated 30 children to the Lord. We had an all-time record year in our giving. And on top of all of that, we were able to finish the first phase of our building project and get our children into their new life. Kids wing, pretty cool. And all that stuff has happened just in the past year. Pretty cool. And a whole bunch of stuff besides that that we don't even have time to talk about. I was thinking about, man, just imagine, just think about where we came from and where we are now. In fact, some of you haven't been around here even long enough to remember what this place looked like when we first moved in. So I thought, you know, it's always good on your birthday to show some pictures, right? So I just thought I'd show you a few pictures. Throw those pictures up there. That's what the sanctuary used to look like. Pretty crazy. Just go ahead and scroll through those, right? I mean, this place has changed a lot already, hasn't it? And then, and then I started thinking about some of you don't even remember what it looked like even just a year ago on the outside of the church because you come every Sunday and you see the way it looks now. But I just thought I'd show you even a year ago today what the church looked like compared to what it looks like now. Throw that up there. I thought we'd have a better response than that, like... That's pretty awesome, right? God has done some amazing, amazing things even in this past year. And I think we need to cheer and shout and give God praise for what he has done. Here's what's so cool. God has done some amazing things in the past, even in this past year, but we haven't seen anything yet. God has so many greater things in store for us as a church. And that's what I think is cool about the eighth birthday. You know, the year or the number eight is actually in the Bible. It's the number of new beginnings. I don't know if you knew that, but number seven is the number of completion. On seven days, God completed. He finished the work. And then eight represents the number of new beginnings. It's a a new start. It's a new day. It's a new time. And here's what's so great is that God has done some great things in our lives and in our church in the past eight years and even in this past year as a church. But God has new things. Everybody say new things. 
God has new things in store for us. In fact, it reminds me of this scripture in Isaiah 43 and verse 18, one of my favorite. It says, forget the former things. Everybody say, forget. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do not perceive it, for I am making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. And I'm here to tell you today, some of you, maybe you're here today, and I believe that God would want to say to you to forget some things of your past. Maybe there's some mistakes that you've made. Maybe there's been some failures. Maybe there's been some things that have been hurtful in your past. But I'm here to tell you today that God says, forget those former things. Behold, I am doing a new thing in your life. It's springing up now. Everybody say now. Now, right now, God says, I want to do a new thing in your heart and in your life. And some of you maybe are here today and maybe you're looking at some things and you're going, I don't know how we're going to get through what we're going through right now. I don't know how I'm going to make it through this circumstance or this situation that I'm, that I'm facing right now. But God says, I am making a way. I am making streams in the desert wasteland. I'm going to make a way for you. You know, as I think about that passage and I think about all that God has done and all that God is going to do, and I think about that phrase that says, God says, I am making a way in the wasteland. I I can't help but think about all the people who that's kind of where they camp out in life, kind of just camping out in a wasteland, almost kind of even just kind of wasting away, wasting their life. In fact, I, I see a lot of a lot of good things, a lot of great joys as a pastor. But also as a pastor, I get an opportunity to kind of be with people in difficult times. And I see a lot of I see a lot of sad things as a pastor. But you know, I think the, the saddest thing that I see as a pastor is when I see people who are just kind of missing it. When I see people who have such incredible potential and God has such incredible plans for their life and yet they just kind of seem to be wasting the life that God has given them. You know, it reminds me of this story that I heard, uh, I heard not too long ago about a guy uh, who was uh, turning 16. And how many know when you get 16, what's the big deal? You get your driver's license, you get a car. And so this young man is turning 16, and he's about to get his first car, and he's super excited. And how many know when you're turning 16, you don't care what the car looks like as long as it'll get you somewhere, right? And so he's so excited, telling his parents, you know, I can't wait to get my car. And so his parents tell him, all right, well, we're going to get you a car But first, this is what I want you to do. I want you to read this book. I got a book that I want you to read about being responsible and things like that. And when you're finished reading the book, then we'll talk about getting your car. Well, they give him the book at the beginning of the summer. And a few weeks into the summer, the young man gets, you know, a little bit anxious, a little bit impatient and starts coming to dad and says, Dad, when are we going to talk about getting getting my car? And the dad says, well, did you read the book? And the son says, well, no, I didn't read the book yet. And so the dad says, well, go ahead, go read the book. And when you're finished, reading the book then you come and talk to me and we'll talk about getting your car well a few more weeks go by and the son starts getting even more impatient and he says dad when am I going to get my car and dad says did you read the book well no I kind of thumbed through it a little bit but I didn't read it yet well you just come talk to me whenever you get finished reading the book 
Well, the whole summer goes by, and it's about time to start the next year of school. Now the the boy is getting a little frustrated, and he's getting pretty impatient, and he finally comes to his dad and says, Dad, when are we going to talk about getting my car? School's about to start. I need to get my car. And the dad says, Did you read the book? And the son says, No, I didn't read the book. And so the dad says, Go into your room and get the book and bring the book to me. So the son goes and gets the book and brings it to the dad, and the dad opens up the book and in the back page of the book there's a note that the dad wrote and the dad wrote a note that said this son the keys to your car me and your mom already have them you just need to come and talk to us about it you know when I think about that I think about a young man who wasted an entire summer Because he didn't do what the dad asked him to do. He could have had the keys to freedom all summer long. But he didn't read the book. And I think about so many people, that's exactly where you are in life. You're kind of just camping out in a desert wasteland. And God says, I've got a purpose and I've got a direction. And I've got the keys to freedom for you. i got the keys to purpose. i got the keys to true life, to the good life, to the best life that are available to you. All you got to do is open up my book. All you got to do is read it. All you got to do is begin to follow what I have in store for your life. But so many people are missing it. So many people are, 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 missing, are missing the purpose and the plan that God has for their lives. And it reminds me of this story that I want us to look at for just a few minutes today. Uh, we find it in the book of Luke, chapter 10. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there, or your version. you can open up your Bible app to Luke, chapter 10. The story of these, of these two ladies, Mary and Martha. Everybody say, Mary and Martha. We see it in Luke chapter 10 and verse 38. Let's just read about them here. It says, As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. And her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted. Everybody say distracted. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner that she was preparing. And she came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said to her, My dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. And there is only one thing. Everybody say one thing. There is only one thing being worth or worth being concerned about about it. And Mary has discovered it and it will not be taken away from her. Have you ever met somebody before that you go, man, they, they get it. You know what I'm talking about? Like someone who just seems to kind of have the it factor. I mean, you just look at their life and it's like, they get it. They have it. They just, they've got the it factor. And then have you ever met somebody before that maybe at first they seem like they got it, but when you get to know them a little bit more or upon a little further inspection, you kind of discover uh, they don't get it. How many know what I'm saying, right? And here's what, we, here's what we find here in this story. We find these two ladies Mary, Jesus says, Mary has discovered it. She gets it. She's got the it factor. But Martha, she's still kind of looking for it. She's still kind of 
searching it. Now, now as, you, as you look at it on the outside, it would really seem more like Martha's the one who gets it and Mary's the one who's missing it, right? I mean, Martha on the outside, she looks like she's really got it all together. She's a successful woman. She's a, a busy woman. She's a very hard worker. I mean, in fact, just think about this. You may have never thought about this before, but Martha, she's the one who had the house, right? And think about that. In our, even in our culture today, like if you're a single woman and you're able to buy your own house, you've pretty much got it together. Now imagine that in the culture that they were in. And so here's Martha. She's busy. She's a hard worker. She's successful. She even has her own house where she can invite everybody over and Jesus can come and all the disciples can come and everybody can come and she can welcome them to the house. But Jesus says, Mary gets it, but Martha you're missing it and I wonder sometimes if there if there are people like that in the world today that like on the outside it seems like you got it like you live in a nice neighborhood and you drive a nice car and you wear the nice clothes and you seem to be successful but it's kind of like it's kind of like uh, in a desert wasteland a mirage off at the end not everything is as it seems and maybe on the outside it seems like you got it but on the inside you're kind of missing it. And I want to look at this for just a second and look at this story. What is it that causes us to miss it? What is it that causes us to wander around in a desert wasteland in our life and miss what really matters in life? And I want you to write a couple of things down. The first one is this, is distraction. Everybody say distraction. Look at this, verse 40. But Martha was distracted. By the big dinner that she was preparing. Now think about this for a second, all right? You got Jesus. You got the Son of God, okay? You've got the Messiah, the one that for centuries they had been searching for and looking for. You've got the King of Kings. You've got the creator of all the universe. And he's sitting in your living room, okay? And you're more concerned about fixing dinner than being with Jesus? How many would say Martha missed it? And what was it that caused her to miss it? She was distracted. And how many of us, that's exactly the way that we are in life sometimes. God has so much in store for our lives, but we're so distracted by all the busyness and all of the things that we have to run around and do in life. And God says, hey, I'm right here, but you're missing me because you're distracted by all the other stuff that you think is such a big deal. In fact, let me read that passage again, that verse again, and let me read it with a different tone. I think this might even be the tone that uh, Luke was maybe, uh, maybe thinking when he wrote uh, the, the passage there. Let me read it the way I think it should be read in verse number 40. But Martha was distracted by all the big dinners she was preparing. Right? I mean, you hear the sarcasm there? I mean, I think maybe there was a little sarcasm in, in Luke's voice when he was writing that. Because here's the thing, is that Martha thought her thing was the big deal. And she had the big deal in the other room, but she was distracted from the main event, from the real big deal, because she thought what she was doing was such a big deal. And here's the thing. It's not the big stuff. It's not the big stuff that distracts us from really understanding what God has for our life. Usually, it's the little stuff that we think is big stuff. 
Have you noticed that before? Usually, it's, it's not the big thing that's going to distract us from God and from God's purpose for our life, because we're smart enough to figure that out. Like, if the enemy puts some big thing in front of us, we're going to be like, I'm not going to get distracted by that, because that's a big deal. But he'll use just little stuff that we turn into big stuff. And little stuff, after a while, mounts up to be big stuff. It's the little distractions that really mess us up. I mean, think about it. I mean, you're thinking, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read my Bible, and I'm going to spend some time with God. And, and maybe you got your phone out, and you're like, I'm going to open my Bible app, and I'm going to read my scripture for the day, and I'm going to do my soap method that we learned a couple of weeks ago. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that. But before I do that, I'm just going to check Facebook just real quick, right? Come on, how many know I'm talking about? Just see what somebody said. And then before you know it, it's been three and a half hours and you still haven't opened your Bible app. And your kids don't even know who, they, who you are, you know, because you hadn't seen them all day long because you've been on Facebook. And you thought, oh, it's just a little thing. But that little thing turned into a big thing. Or maybe, you know, maybe it's football season. Uh-oh, uh-oh, we're going to step on some toes. Maybe it's football season. And, you know, you know I love Jesus I love God, but you know, and I love church, but it's football season, right? I mean, and I can't go, I can't go to church, and I can't, I can't love God because my team's getting ready to play, right? And I got season tickets, or the game is a noon game, right? And so I can't go to church. You, you wouldn't imagine how much bigger the nine o'clock service gets when the Cowboys are playing at noon, you know? It's like, man, it's football season, and, 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 and God's important, but my team is, is so important because, I mean, God knows it's so important that I got I to gotta sit there in my gear, and I got to watch 25-year-old men who are 300 pounds run into each other and win half their games. Come on. Now, I know, I know the people that need to hear this are not here this morning because they're getting ready to go watch, you know, 300-pound men run into each other and win half their games. Either that or maybe you are here this morning because the Cowboys play this afternoon. I don't know. Here's the deal. It's not the big stuff. It's not the big stuff that, that messes us up. It's the, it's the little stuff, the little stuff that we make into big stuff that gets us distracted from what's most important. Let me, let me tell you this also. It's not the big stuff, but it's also not the bad stuff. It's not, it's not the bad stuff. Martha wasn't doing bad stuff. It wasn't like Martha was going out and partying up at the clubs. It wasn't like Martha was shooting up drugs. Martha was actually doing something good. She was actually preparing a meal to take care of Jesus and to take care of the other disciples. She was doing some good stuff, but how many know sometimes the good stuff, even, even stuff that is good things that we can and should be doing, sometimes even the good stuff can distract us from the best stuff. Because we can get so busy doing all the good stuff that we miss the really good stuff. You know, I told you a few, a few weeks ago, the devil doesn't have to make us bad. All he has to do is make us busy. That's what he does. He gets us so busy running around here and there doing all this stuff that we think is so important, just has to be done, that we get distracted from what is best. We get distracted from the best stuff because we're running around busy doing all the good stuff. And he, he doesn't have to make us bad. He just makes us busy. And I'm telling you what, he's doing it. I look around in our society today, and we are the busiest society that has ever, uh, that has ever been on the planet. 
I mean, I was just talking, just talking the other day to a buddy. We had lunch, and we were talking, and he was talking about, uh, you know, his kid that's in, that's in high school band. And he said during the, during the beginning of school year, like right before school, the first two weeks before school, that he would drop his daughter off at, at band practice at 9 o'clock in the morning, and then they would get finished with band practice at 9 o'clock that night. Two weeks in a row, 12 hours of band practice. It's, I mean, it's not like they're out saving the world. This is a high school band, y'all. I remember whenever I was, I'm going to get on my soapbox for a second, if that's okay. I remember when I was in school, man, we, we didn't have practice. I'm talking practice, not even games. We didn't even have practice on Wednesday nights because that was church night. And we never had games or tournaments, things like that on Sundays because that was the Lord's Day. And that was when families go to church. But I'm telling you today, nothing is off limits. I mean, it's Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, all day, every day. All these things that we think are so important. I've just got to have my kid in this. In fact, I was talking to some other friends the other day. and It broke my heart. They were talking about talking about they have their kids in this, in this fine arts deal. And the fine arts thing is every night several hours every single night seven days a week and we, we they were saying we, we miss church but we just can't be in church right now because our kids are at this thing and it just broke my heart I have another friend who every single weekend they would drive five hours every single Friday and stay in another community on Saturday and Sunday and drive back late on Sunday night so their kid could be in club soccer every week People that love God, people that used to be in church and not in church anymore because they're doing club soccer every week. Now, am I against football? Am I against band? Am I preaching up here against being in club soccer? Any of that kind of stuff? No, no. My kids, in fact, my daughter just started band this, this week, all right? I mean, I'm not against any of that stuff. But here's what I'm saying is sometimes we're missing the point. Sometimes we get distracted from what is best because we're so busy doing stuff that we think is a big deal. We're doing even good stuff, and it keeps us from the best stuff. Here's the thing. Is there nothing wrong with band? There's nothing wrong with football. There's nothing wrong with, with soccer and all that kind of stuff. But, man, it breaks my heart. I mean, what if... What if your kid gets really good at soccer? What if they even get a scholarship to go to college, but they grow up to not know Jesus as their Savior? What if they get real good at whatever it is they're doing, they grow up without having a heritage of knowing that it's a priority to be in God's house every opportunity that we can? We get distracted. This past week, man, I was, I was really encouraged because I was thinking about this message and I was getting kind of down and discouraged by it. And then uh, just this past week, talking to a family in the church who was who just, I mean, I was so proud. They said, you know, our daughter wants to be in, in club volleyball and we know it's going to be like every weekend and we know it's going to keep us from church. And so we just kind of decided we, we think church is more important. And so even our daughter has said, yeah, I don't want to be in club because I want to be at church every weekend. distracted she was distracted she had Jesus sitting in the living room and she was distracted by I got to make the meal just right and sometimes it's even the good stuff that will distract us from the best stuff check this out number two not only did she get distracted not only was there distraction but number two there was comparison everybody say comparison verse 40 look she she came to Jesus and said Lord 
doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come in here and help me. Doesn't that sound like a couple teenagers, you know what I'm saying? Mom, that's not fair, right? I mean, can you imagine Martha's in there and, and she's doing the work and nobody's paying any attention to her. And so she wants somebody to give her attention. So can you imagine she starts banging pots and pans around, like, give me some attention in here, right? I know that's what some of y'all do, right? And, and then after she bangs around a little bit, nobody's giving her any attention. Then she finally just kind of speaks up and is like, Jesus, this is not fair. Come on, can you just, Right? It's not fair that she's in there setting her pretty little self down and I'm in here slaving over this hot stove to make sure that you've got a nice dinner. And here's the thing, we laugh about that, but we all do it, don't we? God, that's not fair. That's not fair. Why, why did they get the promotion and I didn't? Why did they get the job and I didn't? God, why, is, why are all my friends getting married and I don't even have a boyfriend yet? Why, why can they have kids and we can't have kids? Or why are their kids gone and ours aren't yet? I don't know what it is. God, it's not fair. And I got to tell you, I just, it's okay if I just be honest this morning. I'll just be honest. In the past eight years in this church, I've had a few of those moments. Little pity party moments, right? Like, God's not fair. I remember when we first started this church, we first moved here, and, like, we're trying to start the church, and nobody's coming to the church, and we're just barely struggling and making it. I remember standing out there in front of the, at the you know, at the door at the Hughley Fitness Center, looking out those big glass doors and going, is anybody, please, somebody new, just show up tonight? And we got our 15 little people sitting out there, and I, rem- I remember what those days were like, and I remember looking around at some of my friends who had started churches, you know, just a few months before mine and man they're getting buildings and their church is growing and I'm going God that's not fair why is their church growing and my church isn't God I gave up everything don't you know we gave everything up to come and serve you here in Burleson why are they getting in and we're not why is their church growing and our church isn't and here's the deal we can get into that place where we start comparing ourselves they have this and they have that and I don't have and God it's just not fair and nothing will nothing will distract you from God's purpose in your life more than comparing God's purpose for your life to God's purpose for somebody else's life and every time I got into those, into those pity party moments, you know what all that, all that did was it made me discouraged and it made me down. And you know what it did? It took my eyes off of the purpose that God had called me to do because I was looking at somebody else's what God had called them to do. Martha says, not fair. I'm in here slaving. I'm in here working. And she's in there sitting. She comes to Jesus and Jesus, I don't think, really answered her the way that he expected, or the way that she expected to be answered. Because <laughs> he basically just says, Martha, this is not about, Mar- this is not about Mary, this is about you. Kind of reminds me of what he said to, uh, to Peter. You might remember this story. Peter's kind of having one of those moments, too. Jesus already died on the cross. He's already been resurrected. He comes back, and he's talking to Peter, and basically he's telling Peter, this is what it's going to be like when I go back to heaven, and when I go back, here's what's going to happen. Peter, you're going to suffer, and you're going to actually die for the kingdom of God. You're going to be a martyr. Now, can you imagine hearing that, all right? Imagine how he must have reacted, and so Peter starts reacting like many of us do. Well, God, that's not fair. 
right? Well, yeah, it is. I mean, I just died for you. Now you're going to die for me. But no, God, that's not fair. And then look what he says. He starts pointing at other, at somebody else and starts comparing in, in John 20 and verse, or 21 and verse 20. It says, Peter looked around and he saw behind them the disciple that Jesus loved. First of all, you get something from that. It's like, Jesus, you love him more than me. And he points at John and he goes, and he goes, what about him, Lord? And look what Jesus says. If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? As for you, follow me. Here's the deal. So many of us, this is what we do. We start looking around, start comparing. Well, it's not fair. They got that. And God, you did this for them. And you haven't done anything for me. And it's not fair. And God looks at us just like he did at Martha and just like he did at Peter. And he goes, what is that to you? This is not about them. This is about you. The thing that distracts us the most from God's purpose in our life is when we start comparing our purpose to other people's purpose. And here's the deal. It's not our job to look at what God's called somebody else to do. It's our job to find out what God has called us to do and then do it with all of our heart. In fact, that's what the Bible says in Galatians 6 and verse 4. I love this in the message. Look what it says. It says, make a careful exploration of who you are and the work that you have been given and then sink yourself into that. Don't be impressed with yourself and don't compare yourself with others, but each of you must take responsibility. Everybody say, take responsibility. Each of you must take responsibility for doing the creative best that you can with your own life. It's not about what God calls somebody else to do. It's about what what did God call me to do? Martha misses it because she gets distracted. She starts comparing, and then look what happens. All this distraction and all of this comparison, look what it leads to in Martha's life. It leads to a whole bunch of stress and frustration and anxiety. In fact, we see it right here in verse number 41. Look what Jesus says. Martha, you are worried and upset about many things. You know, couldn't we use that to describe so many people in our culture today? Worried and upset about many things. Man, we thought, we thought that the money was going to fulfill us, but we got the money and it didn't fulfill us. We thought that the promotion was going to be it, and that's how we were going to get it. And we got the promotion, and then it just seemed like that didn't do it. And we thought, man, if my kids can be really good at soccer and get a scholarship, then that will be it. Or if, my, you know, if, I, if I can climb the ladder at work, or if my team can win the championship, and all of those things. And then those things happen, and then we realize that that isn't it, and we're worried and upset about many things we spent our whole life searching for it Martha was searching for it but Mary had found it you know it reminds me of a story I heard one time about the guy who's playing guitar in church he's up there playing guitar and after he gets home from church his wife says you know babe I was watching you play the guitar up there in church today and I noticed that all the other guitar players they're just like moving up and down the neck and all these different chords and all this kind of stuff and I noticed that you were just up there and you just had it in one place and you just stayed there the whole time and the man looked at his wife and said yeah that's right everybody else is searching for it but I found it (laughs) how many know that's the way a lot of people are 
searching everywhere, trying to find it, and frustrated, worried, upset, stressed out because of all this busyness of life, all this stuff that we think is somehow going to be it, and then we get it, and we realize it's not it, and on the surface, it seems like we have it, but when you look a little bit, a little bit closer, you realize that we're missing it. So what do you do? What do you do if you're missing it? What do you do if you had it once and you've lost it? What do you do? You got to make a choice. And look what, look what Mary did. Mary chose what is better. Everybody say, choose what is better. Look at this, verse 42. But Mary has chosen what is better. Martha was doing some good things, but Mary chose what was better. And guess what, man? Every single day, We're faced with the choice. Are we going to live for what is good? Are we going to live the good life? Or are we going to live the better life? And let me tell you, a lot of people, what they've done is they've settled for good. They've settled for, I'm going to make more money. I'm going to climb that ladder. I'm going to have pleasure. I'm going to have fun. I'm going to do all this stuff. And let me tell you something. That stuff's good. It is. Money's good. I heard one guy say, I've been with it and I've been without it. And believe me, with it's a whole lot better. How many know what I'm saying? It's good, but here's the thing, is it's not the best, and it will just leave you wanting more, because here's what it is, it's temporary, everybody say temporary. temporary, the good life, it's temporary, in fact, think about this for a second, all right, just think about, think about the best, I mean, the best meal you've ever had, I know it's getting close to lunchtime, but just think about this, man, I mean, I like to go to uh, Papacitos, anybody like some Papacitos up in here, you know, and I got, we got some friends that take us to Papacitos on Wednesday nights when we don't have life groups, because Papacitos has the half-price fajitas, come on, you know what I'm talking about, and you leave that place, and you're just so stuffed, and you're so full, or how about this, anybody ever been to Pff Chang's before, you ever been to Pff Chang's? Y'all don't even know what I'm talking about. P.F. Chang's, P.F. Chang's, come on. That's a better joke than y'all laughed. Help me out. We went there yesterday because my brother-in-law was his birthday, and we're celebrating that, and you leave going, oh, I could never eat another bite. You know what I'm saying, right? And then something strange happens about five, six hours later when you were going, oh, I could never eat another bite. About five hours, six hours later, you're going, oh, I'm kind of feeling something in my stomach. I'm kind of hungry again, Right? Because that stuff's good, but it doesn't last. I mean, think about the best night's sleep you've ever had. Like maybe you stayed in a really nice hotel and they got like 500 thread count sheets, you know. And then you're in there, and I don't know if you're like me, but I like it to be super cold in the room. And then you get a really warm blanket and you put it on you. And then you got the room blacked out and you can just sleep for like 10 hours. And you're like, oh, this is awesome, right? But how long is it before you're tired again? What about the best vacation you ever had? Or what about when your team wins the championship and you get that feeling of exhilaration? But how long is it before you're unsatisfied? Again, you can have the good life, but the good life will not satisfy. You've got to decide, I'm going to choose what is better. And what is better? God is better. Jesus is better. God's purposes and plans for your life are better than anything that this world could ever have to offer. In fact, I love what this passage says in Isaiah 55 and verse 8. It says, For my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could ever even imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. God says, My ways are better than your ways. 
My thoughts are better than your thoughts. In fact, my thoughts are so much better. My ways are so much better than yours that it's like as far as the heavens are from the earth, that's how much better my ways are than your ways. How far is that? Well, just think about it. I mean, the Milky Way, our galaxy, the closest galaxy to us is Andromeda. Did you know that it is 2 million light years between those galaxies? That means that you could travel at the speed of light for two years, and it would take you 2 million years to get from one galaxy to the next. And that's how far God says my ways are from your ways. That's how much better God says my ways are than your ways. His ways are better. How many believe that today? Now, if we really believe God's ways are better, then why would we allow ourselves to get distracted by anything less? If we really believe that God's plan for us is better than our plan for us, why would we be worried about having what's God planned for somebody else? Instead, we would choose, God, if your ways are better, then that's what I want, even when I don't understand it, even when it doesn't make sense, even when it might be a little bit uncomfortable, even when it goes against the grain of the culture that we live in today, God, I want your ways. Because here's the thing, is that his ways are better. So why don't we choose his ways? Why don't we choose what is better? Well, here's why. Because we want both. We want the good life and the better life. Let me tell you something. You can't have the good life and have the better life at the same time. You see, Martha couldn't sit at the feet of Jesus and be in the kitchen at the same time. And here's the deal is that so many times we don't want to let go of the good in order to receive the better. But let me tell you something. If you're taking notes, write this down. In order to grab a hold of what is better, sometimes you have to let go of what is good. I think that's a word for some people this morning. Sometimes in order to get a hold of what's better, you're going to have to let go of some things that are good. You know, next week we're going to begin this campaign called What on Earth Am I Here For? We're going to be talking about this, this important question, this question of what, what is our purpose in life? What does God want me to do? What is God's plan and his calling for my life, and I'm going to challenge you, and I'm starting today, and I'm going to challenge you every week in this series. Here's what I'm going to challenge you to do. I'm going to challenge you to make a commitment. As we start next week, I'm going to challenge you for those six weeks of this series to make a commitment that you would say, I'll be at church at least five of the six weeks during this series. I'm going to challenge you to do that. I'm going to challenge you to get one of these books. If you haven't already gotten one, you can get one at the end of today. I'm going to challenge you to take one for yourself and take one and give it to a friend, and I'm going to challenge you to read it every single day beginning on September 14th that every day we're going to read that book together. I'm going to challenge you to get involved in a life group. Today you're going to have an opportunity to meet our life group leaders and I'm going to challenge you to get involved in one of those groups. I'm going to challenge you to grow together as we begin to discover what God has called us to do. I'm going to challenge you to make that commitment but here's the deal. In order to make that commitment, in order to get what is best, in order to grab a hold of the better plan that God has for my life, I'm going to have to let go of some of the good stuff i'm gonna have to maybe decide hey you know that trip that i was planning i might have to postpone it a little bit so i can be here five out of the six weeks i might have to decide hey i want to get up a little bit earlier every morning so that i can make sure and read the devotional from the book every day i might have to decide hey i got to cut out a few other things in my life so i can make sure and be in a life group every single every single week with my group i've got to let go of some good things in order to get a hold of the better things here's what's so great 
So when you let go of the good, which is temporary, and you take a hold of the better, here's the cool thing, is that the better is eternal. Everybody say eternal. See, the better, it lasts forever. In fact, that's what Jesus said. He said, Mary has chosen what is better, and check this out, and it will not be taken from her. You see, you can spend your whole life trying to get what, what's good. You can spend your whole life trying to get the good life. And guess what? In the end, you're going to lose it because you can't take it with you. But if you spend your life living for what really matters, if you spend your life living for what is better, if you make the choice today, I'm going to choose better, guess what? It's eternal, and it cannot and will not be taken from you. And I like what somebody said one time. They said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to take hold of what he can cannot lose. Hello, everybody. Welcome again to the LifeGate podcast. We hope you enjoyed the message. As always, if you're new to LifeGate or haven't heard of us before, please be sure to visit our website at lifegateburleson.com for our address, service times, and upcoming events. Again, that's lifegateburleson.com. Thanks again, take care, and we look forward to visiting with you next week.